0: Chapter three Part two of the Abandoned Room This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Ashley Jane. The Abandoned Room by Wadsworth Camp. Chapter three Part two Howells Delivers Himself to the Abandoned Room. He opened the front door. Paradise and Graham alone sat by the fire. They're not through yet, Bobby said. Graham arose. He commenced to pace the length of the hall. They've had Catherine in that room. One would think she's been through enough. Now they've sent for the servants. Paradis laughed lightly. After this, he said, I'm afraid, Bobby, you'll need the powers of the police to keep servants in your house. Muttering frightened voices came from the dining room. Jenkins entered and, shaking his head, went up the stairs. The two women who followed him were in tears. They paused as if seeking an excuse to linger on the lower floor to postpone as long as possible their entrance of the room of death. Ella, a pretty girl whose dark hair and eyes suggested a normal vivacity, spoke to Bobby. "'It's outrageous, Mr. Robert. He found out all we knew this morning. What's he after now? You might think we had murdered Mr. Blackburn.' Jane was older. An ugly scar crossed her cheek. It was red and like an open wound, as she demanded that Bobby put a stop to these inquisitions. "'I can do nothing,' he said. "'Go on up and answer, or they can make trouble for you.' Muttering again to each other, they followed Jenkins, and in the lower hall the three men waited. Jenkins came down first. His face was white. It twitched. "'The body,' he mouthed. "'It moved. I saw it before.' He stretched out his hands to Bobby. "'That's why they wanted us, to find out where we were this afternoon "'and everything we've done, as if we might have gone there and disturbed.' "'Angry voices in the upper hall interrupted him. "'The two women ran down as white as Jenkins. "'At an impatient nod from Bobby, the three servants went on to the kitchen. Howells, the coroner, and Dr. Groom descended. "'What ails you, doctor?' the coroner was squeaking. "'I agree it's an unpleasant room. Lots of old rooms are.' I follow you when you say no post-mortem contraction would have caused such an alteration in the position of the body. There's no question about the rest of it. The man was clearly murdered with a sharp tool of some sort, and the murderer was in the room again this afternoon and disturbed the corpse. Howells says he knows who. It's up to him to find out how. He says he has plenty of evidence and that the guilty person's in the house. So I'm not fretting myself. I'm cross with you, Howells, for breaking up my holiday— One of my assistants would have done as well. Howells apparently paid no attention to the coroner. His narrow eyes followed the doctor with a growing curiosity. His level smile seemed to have drawn his lips into a line, inflexible, a little cruel. The doctor grunted. Instead of abolishing coroners, we ought to double their salaries. The coroner made a long squeak as an indication of mirth. You think unfriendly spooks did it. I've always believed you were an old fogey. Hanged if that doesn't sound modern. The doctor ran his fingers through his thick, untidy hair. I merely ask for the implement that caused death. I only asked to know how it was inserted through the bed while Blackburn lay on his back, and if you've time you might tell me how the murderer entered the room last night and today. The coroner repeated his squeak. He glanced at the little group by the fire. Out in the kitchen upstairs or right here under our noses is almost certainly the person who could tell us. Interesting case, Howells. Howells, who still watched the doctor, answered dryly. Unusually interesting. The coroner struggled into his coat. Permits, sir, all available, he squeaked. Have you undertakers out when you like? Graham answered him brusquely. Everything's arranged. I've only to telephone. The coroner nodded at Dr. Groom. His voice pointed its humor with a thinner tone. If I were you, Howells, I'd take this hairy old theorist up as a suspicious character. The doctor made a movement in his direction while Howells continued to stare. The doctor checked himself. He went to the closet and got his hat and coat. "'Want me to drop you old sore bones?' the coroner asked. Savagely the doctor shook his head. "'My book is in the stable.' The coroner's squeak was thinner and more irritating than ever. "'Then don't let the spooks get you, driving through the woods. Old folks say there are plenty there.' Bobby arose, he couldn't face the prospect of the man' squeaking again. We find nothing to laugh at in this situation. he said. You're quite through. The coroner's eyes blazed. I'm through if that's the way you feel. Good night, he added with a sharp maliciousness. I leave my sympathy for whoever Howells has his eagle eye on. Howells, when the doctor and the coroner had gone, excused himself with a humility that mocked the others. With your permission, I shall write in the library until dinner. He bowed and left. He wants to work on his report, Graham suggested. An exceptional man, Paradis murmured. Has he questioned you? Graham asked. I scarcely call it that, Paradis replied. We've both questioned, and we've both been clams. I fancy he doesn't think much of me since I believe in ghosts. Yet the doctor seems to interest him. Where were you? Graham asked, when Miss Perrine's scream called us. Paradis stifled a yawn, dozing here by the fire. I'm very tired after last night. You don't look particularly tired. Custom, I'm ashamed to say, constructs a certain armor. Tomorrow, with a fresh mind, I hope to be able to dissect all I have seen and heard, all that has happened here today. The thing that counts is what happened to me last night, Carlos, Bobby said. It's the only way you can help me. As Paradise strolled to the foot of the stairs, Bobby waited for a defensive reply, for a sign, perhaps that the Panamanian was offended and proposed to depart. Paradise, however, went upstairs yawning. He called back I must make myself a trifle more presentable for dinner. Graham faced Bobby with the old question What can he want hanging around here unless it's money? And after a moment his clever, hard to sound, I have to leave you, Bobby. I must telephone the ugly formalities. It's good of you to take them off my mind, Bobby answered. He remained in his chair gazing drowsily at the fire, trying always trying to remember yet finding no due light among the shadows of his memory. Just before dinner Catherine joined him. She wore a somber gown that made her face seem too white, that heightened the groping curiosity of her eyes. Without speaking she sat down beside him and stared, too, at the smouldering fire. From her presence, from her tactful silence, he drew comfort, to an extent rest. "'You make me ashamed,' he whispered once. "'I've been a beast leaving you here alone these weeks. You don't understand quite why that was.' She wouldn't let him go on. She shook her head. They remained silently by the fire until Graham and Paradis joined them. When dinner was announced a detective came from the library and uninvited sat at the table with them. His report evidently still filled his mind, for he spoke only when it was unavoidable and then in monosyllables. Paradis alone ate with a show of enjoyment, alone attempted to talk. Eventually even he fell silent before the lack of response. Afterward he arranged a small card-table by the fire in the hall. He found cards, and with a package of cigarettes and a box of matches convenient to his hand, commenced to play solitaire. The detective, Bobby gathered, had brought his report up to date, for he lounged nearby, watching the Panamanians' slender fingers as they handled the cards deftly. Bobby, Graham, and Katherine were glad to withdraw beyond the range of those narrow, searching eyes. They entered the library and closed the door. Graham, expectant of a report from his man in New York as to the movements of Maria and the identity of the stranger, was restless. "'If we could only get one fact,' he said, "'one reasonable clue that didn't involve Bobby. "'I've never felt so at sea. "'I wonder if, in spite of Howell's evidence, "'we're not all a little afraid since this afternoon "'of something such as Catherine felt last night, "'something we can't define. "'Howell's alone is satisfied. "'We must believe in the hand of another man.' Dr. Groom talked about indefinable hands. Uncle Sillis was so afraid last night, Catherine whispered. That, Bobby cried, is a fact we must have. He paused. What's that? he asked sharply. They sat for some time listening to the sound of wheels on the gravel, to the banging of the front door, and later to the pacing of men in the room of death overhead. They tried again to thread the mazes of this problem whose only conceivable exit led to Bobby's guilt. The movements upstairs persisted. At last they became measured and dragging like the footsteps of men who carried some heavy burden. They looked at each other then. Catherine hid her eyes. "'It's like a tomb here,' Bobby said. He arranged kindling in the fireplace and touched the match to it. It hadn't occurred to him to ring for Jenkins. None of them wished to be disturbed. Eventually it was the detective who intruded. He strolled in, glanced at them curiously for a moment, then walked to the door of the enclosed staircase. He grasped the knob. Tonight, he announced, I'm trying a small experiment on the chance of clearing up the last details of the mystery. Since it depends on the courage of whoever murdered Mr. Blackburn, I've small hope of its success. He indicated the ceiling. You've heard, I dare say, what's been going on up there. Mr. Blackburn's body has been removed to his own room. The room where he was killed is empty. I mean to go up and enter and lock the doors as he did last night. I shall leave the window up as it was last night. I shall blow out the candle as he did. He lowered his voice. He looked directly at Bobby. His words carried a definite challenge. I shall lie on the bed and await the murderer under the precise conditions Mr. Blackburn did. What do you expect to gain by that? Graham asked. Probably nothing, Howells answered, because, as I have said, success depends upon the courage of a man who kills in the dark while his victim sleeps. I simply give him the chance to attack me as he did Mr. Blackburn. Of course he realizes it would be a good deal to his advantage to have me out of the way. I ask him to come, therefore, as stealthily as he did last night. I beg him to match his skill with mine. I want him to play his miracle with the window or one of the locks, but I'll wager he hasn't the nerve. Although I don't see why he should hesitate—he's a doomed man—I shall make my arrest in the morning. I shall publish all my evidence." Bobby wouldn't meet the narrow, menacing eyes, for he knew that Howells challenged him to a duel of slyness with the whole truth at stake. The detective's manner increased the hatred which had blazed in Bobby's mind when he had stood in the bedroom over his grandfather's body. For a moment he whispered with all his heart that he might accept the challenge. He did the best he could. I gather, he said, that you haven't unearthed the motive for disturbing the body, and have you found the sharp instrument that caused death? The detective answered tolerantly. I've found a number of sharp instruments. None of them, however, seem quite slender or rough enough. I'll get all that out of my man when I lock him up. I'll get it tonight if he dares come. Why, Graham said, do you announce your plans so accurately to us? The detective's level smile widened. You shouldn't ask that, Mr. Graham. I've caused the servants to know my plans. Mr. Paradis knows them. I wish everyone in the house to know them. That is, in order that the murderer who is in the house may come if he wishes. Catherine arose abruptly. When you come down to it, she said, you're accusing one of us. It's brutal, unfair, absurd. I am a detective, miss, Howells answered. I have my own methods. Bobby stared at the slight protuberance in the breast pocket of the detective's coat. The cast of his footprint must be secreted there, and almost certainly the handkerchief which had been found beneath the bed. He shrank from his own thoughts. If he had consciously committed this murder, he could understand the desire to get that evidence. Catherine had gone closer to the detective. "'In any case,' she urged him, "'I wish you wouldn't try to spend the night in that room. "'It isn't pleasant. "'After what the doctor has said, it—' "'Well, it isn't safe.' Howells burst out laughing. "'Never fear, miss. "'I am content to give Dr. Groom's spirits "'as much chance to take a fall out of me as anybody. "'I'll be going up now.' "'He bowed. "'Good night to you all and pleasant dreams.' "'He opened the door and slipped into the darkness "'of the private staircase. "'They heard him after he had closed the door climbing upward.' Catherine shivered. He has plenty of courage, Hartley. If nothing happens to him tonight, he'll finish Bobby in the morning. That mustn't happen. He mustn't go to jail. You understand. Things would never be the same for him again. Graham spread his hands. What am I to do? I might go to New York and get after these people myself. Don't leave the Cedars, Bobby begged, until he does arrest me. There'll be plenty of time for the New York end then. I've no faith in it. Watch Carlos if you want, but most important of all, find out, somehow you've got to find out, what my grandfather was afraid of. Graham nodded. And if it does come to an arrest, Bobby, you're not to say a word to anybody without my advice. You ought to go to bed now. You must have rest, and Catherine too. Don't listen tonight, Catherine, for messages from across the court. I'll try, she said, but Hartley, I wish that man wasn't there. I wish no one was in that room. She took Bobby's hand. Good night, Bobby, and don't give up hope. We'll do something. Somehow we'll pull you through. Bobby waited, hoping that Graham would offer to share his room with him, for, as he had said earlier, the prospect of going to sleep, of losing control of his thoughts and actions, appalled him. Yet such an offer, he realized, must impress Graham as delicate as an indication that he really doubted Bobby's innocence as a sort of spying. He wasn't surprised, therefore, when Graham only said, I'll be in the next room Bobby if you're restless or need me you've only to knock on the wall Bobby didn't leave the library with them the warmth with which Catherine had just filled him faded as he watched her go out side by side with Graham her hand was on Graham's arm there was he fancied in her eyes an emotion deeper than gratitude or friendship he sighed as the door closed behind them he was himself largely to blame for that situation his very revolt against its imminence had hastened its shaping. He walked anxiously to the table. He had remembered the medicine Dr. Groom had prepared for him that afternoon to make him sleep. He hadn't taken it then. If it remained where he had left it, which was likely enough in the disordered state of the household, he would drink it now. Reinforced by his complete weariness, it ought to send him into a sleep profound enough to drown any possible abnormal impulses of unconsciousness. The glass was there. He drained it and stood for a time looking at the pinkish sediment in the bottom. That was all right for tonight, but afterward he couldn't shrink perpetually from sleep. He shrugged his shoulders, remembering it would make little difference what he did in his sleep when they had him behind prison bars. Perhaps this would be his last night of freedom. He found Paradis still in the hall. The Panamanian with languid gestures continued to play his solitaire. His box of cigarettes was much reduced. I thought you were tired, Carlos. Paradis glanced up. His eyes were neither wary nor alert. As usual, his expression disclosed nothing of his thoughts, yet he must have read in Bobby's tone a reproach at this indifference. The game intrigues me, he murmured. And you know, he added dreamily, I sometimes think better while I amuse myself. Bobby nodded good night and went on up to his room. Even while he undressed the effects of the doctor's narcotic were perceptible, his eyes had grown heavy, his brain a trifle numb. Almost apathetically he assured himself that he couldn't accomplish these mad actions in his sleep. Yet last night, he murmured, that finishes me in the eyes of the law. The doctor will testify to aphasia. According to him I am two men, two men! He yawned, recalling snatches of books he has read, and one or two scientific reports of such cases. He climbed into bed and blew out his candle. His drowsiness thickened. In his dulled mind one recollection remained—the picture of Howells coldly challenging him, with his level smile, to make a secret entrance of the old bedroom in a murderous effort to escape the penalty of the earlier crime. And Howells had been right. His death would give Bobby a chance— the destruction of the evidence, the bringing into the case of a broader-minded man, a man without carefully constructed theory, all that would help Bobby. Might save him. Howells, moreover, had indicated that he had so far withheld his evidence, but that was probably a bait. In his drowsy way Bobby hated more powerfully than before this detective, who with a serene malevolence made him writhe in his net. Thought ceased. He drifted into a trance-like sleep. He swung in the black pit again, fighting out against crushing odds. The darkness thundered as though informing him that graver forces than any he had imagined had definitely grasped him. Then he understood. He was in a black cell, and the thundering was a steady advance of men along an iron floor to take him. "'Bobby! Bobby!' he flung out his hands. He sat upright, opening his eyes. The blackness assumed the familiar, yielding quality of the night." The thunder, the footfalls, became a hurried knocking at his door. "'Bobby, you're there!' It was Catherine. Her tone made the night as frightening as the blackness of the pit. "'What's the matter?' "'You're there. I didn't know. Get up. Hartley's putting some clothes on. Hurry! The house is so dark, so strange. Tell me what happened.' She didn't answer at first. He struck a match, lighting his candle, threw on a dressing gown, and stepped to the door. Catherine shrank against the ball, hiding her eyes from the light of his candle. He thought it odd she would wear the dress in which she had appeared at dinner, but it seemed indifferently fastened, and her hair was in disorder. Graham stepped from his room. "'What is it?' Bobby demanded. "'You wouldn't wake up, Bobby. You were so hard awake.' The idea seemed to fill her mind. She repeated it several times. "'It's nothing,' Graham said. "'Go back to your room, Catherine. She's fanciful.' she lowered her hands her eyes were full of terror no we have to go to that room as I went last night as we went today Graham tried to quiet her we'll go to satisfy you her voice hardened I know I was asleep it woke me up stealing in across the court again Bobby grasped her arm you came out and aroused up at once she shook her head I I couldn't find my dressing gown this dress was by the bed I put it on, but I couldn't seem to fasten it. Bobby stepped back, remembering his last thought before drifting into the trance-like sleep. She seemed to know what was in his mind. But when I knocked, you were sleeping so soundly. Too soundly, perhaps. Come, we're growing imaginative, Graham said. Howells will take care of himself. He'll probably give us a juice for disturbing him. But to satisfy you, Catherine, we'll wake him up. If you can, she whispered. They entered the main hall. Light came through the stairwell from the lower floor. Graham walked to the rail and glanced down. Bobby followed him. On the table by the fireplace the cards were arranged in neat piles. A strong draught blew cigarette smoke up to them. Paradis, Graham said amazed, is still downstairs. The front door's open. It's probably in the court. It must be very late, Bobby said. Catherine shivered. Half past two i looked at my watch the same time as last night with a gesture of resolution she led the way into the corridor bobby shrank from the damp and musty atmosphere of the narrow passage why do you come katherine he asked i have to know it was i had to know it last night graham raised his hand and knocked at the door which again was locked on the inside the echoes chattered back at them graham knocked again with a passionate revolt katherine raised her hands too and pounded at the panels Suddenly she gave up. She let her hands fall listlessly. It's no use. Howells! Howells! Graham called. Why don't you answer? When he boasted tonight, Catherine whispered, the murderer heard him. Suppose he's gone down to the library, Graham said. Bobby gave Catherine the candle. No, he'd have stayed. We've got to break in here. We've got to find out. Graham placed his powerful shoulder against the door. The lock strained bobby added his weight with a splintering of wood the door flew open precipitating them across the threshold through the darkness graham sprang for the opposite door it's locked he called and the keys on this side bobby took the candle from catherine and forced himself to approach the bed the flame flickered a little in the breeze which stole past the curtain of the open window it shook across the body of howells fully closed with his head on the stained pillow His face, intricately lined, was as peaceful as Silius Blackburn's had been. Its level smile persisted. Bobby caught his breath. Howell's. He set the candle on the bureau. It's no use. We must look at the back of his head. The back of his head? Catherine echoed. It's illegal, Graham said. Look! Bobby cried. We've got to look! Graham tiptoed forward. He stretched out his hand. With a motion of abhorrence he drew it back. "'Bobby watched him hypnotically, thinking, "'I wanted this. I hated him. I thought of it just before I went to sleep.' "'Graham reached out again. This time he touched Howell's head. It rolled over on the pillow. "'Good God!' he said. "'They stared at the red hole near the base of the brain, at a fresh crimson splotch, "'straying beyond the edges of the darker one they had seen that afternoon.' Graham turned away, his hand still outstretched, as if it had touched some poisonous thing and might retain a contamination. He was prepared against it, he whispered, expected it, yet it got him. He glanced rapidly around the room, whose shadows seemed crowding about the candle to stifle it. "'Unless we're all mad,' he cried, "'the murderer must be hidden in this room now. Don't you see? He's got to be, or groom's right, and we're fighting the dead.' go out catherine stand by that broken door bobby i'm going to look end of chapter 3 recording by ashley jane